Welcome to yet another edition of Let's Run's Track Talk. This is your host, Robert Johnson, live from Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm joined today by our regular co, a regular guest, uh, Let's Run co-founder Weldon Johnson, who's back in the States now, and Let's Run Southern Headquarters, Fort Worth, Texas, and live from Zurich, Jonathan Galt. Lots to talk about today, gentlemen. We've got the first of the two Diamond League finals tomorrow, the world-class meet in Zurich. It's going to be spectacular. Lots of action. Emma Cobra, Mo Farah, the 1,500-meter runners, the men's 100 meters, lots and lots to get there. But before we talk about Zurich and get the inside scoop from John, who's on the ground in Zurich, I want to talk about the column that I put up on the website this afternoon. It's been blowing up on social media, retweets, Facebook, all over, tons of reads. Title says it all. Is the 2017 Bank of America Chicago Marathon being watered down so Galen Rupp can win it? Jonathan, I posted it when you were out at the pole vault competition. Have you had a chance to take a look at the column? And if so, what do you think of it? Yes, I read the article, and, you know, you raised some valid points. I think here's the problem, though, is that Chicago, you know, I'm not privy to exactly how much money they have to throw around, but they've got a budget, you know, all these major marathons do. And if you're a race director – Who's like who's number one on your list of Americans to get, and probably number one on your list, maybe outside. I mean, he might even be a better, bigger guy to get for an American marathon than Kip Chogay. It's Galen Rupp. He was the runner-up in Boston. He's the best marathoner in the country by a wide margin at the moment. He's the Olympic bronze medalist. You want him running your race if you're a U.S. race director. The problem is, he's expensive. Uh, this is only the second marathon he's run for money. He's going to, you know, he's coming off a great run in Boston. His appearance fee is going to be very high. And if you carry Pinkowski, the race director in Chicago, you say, okay, well, we'll pay for Rupp. But then that takes a huge chunk out of your budget, as you noted. And then you've got all these other guys, top guys committed to these other marathons. So you've got Kipchoge and um, Kip Sang, facing each other in Berlin, going off the world record. You've got Jeffrey Karui, who's the Boston champ, Tamarat Tola, who is the Dubai champ. They just ran the world championship marathon. Uh, you've got some. You've got to have some people running New York in November. Uh, Bekele, I don't know what his deal is, but he scratched out of Worlds. We, we, you know, his status is kind of uncertain. You know, you run down the list, and it's like, well, what are these top guys being taken? I know that there's still some more six, two or six, two or seven guys available, but with with their budget constraints, you know, you got to bring in a few other Americans. You got a women's race to do. Rupp probably takes a pretty big chunk of the budget, and you compare it to the other majors. I think that in the fall, their budget's probably it's definitely not as big as New York, and it's probably not as big as Berlin's. And Berlin's also, you know, uh, the uh, uh, having a rabbited race. On a John, race. I, I don't, I don't need to hear the excuses. I just want to see if you agree with it. I mean, I, I don't. I, I laid it, I laid it out in the article. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, you know, in in years past, when there's been the Olympics and, and stuff like that, there's still been a lot more people under that 207 range, six most years or seven. This year, there's only two. Now, since publishing publishing the article. I was notified that Faiso Yolisa will be added, so that will be a third member. So, you know, I mean, yes, Rupp gets money, and I understand that. But first of all, 
the idea that these Americans get, are getting a huge appearance fee, I mean, I heard that Dathan Litzheim might have gotten over $200,000 to run his day to beat you in New York. But in reality, who are these people bidding against? I mean, it's either New York or Chicago. And there's really not anyone to bid against. I mean, I guess he could go to Chicago, New York and they might pay him. But if he wants to run up out of time, he's probably going to want to go to Chicago. So, yes, the budget may be spent, but that's not really my concern. And that's one of my problems I have with these races being run by, like, you know, the Rock and Roll Series owns, like, half the road races in America. It's owned by a hedge fund. Chicago's privately owned. I much prefer it when a race is owned by a nonprofit like the New York Roadrunners because their focus is strictly on the race, running as a whole, on secondary things. And, yes, you're going to have a budget. But in my mind, if you're going to spend a big portion of that budget on RUP, you need to go into – you need to spend extra on the race that year. I mean, I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. And they signed Chris Davis to what I think is a horrible contract, seven years at basically 20-something million dollars a year. But the, the owner said, look, this money doesn't exist for anybody else. We spend it on Davis, and then we're going to spend what we would have spent anyway. So he had, like, extra money in, in the till. So, you know, I mean, you act like all the runners are gone. I'm just looking at the 2017 descending order list. There's 18 Africans that have run, 17 Kenyans, actually, amazing. The 16 Kenyans and two Ethiopians this year that have run under 207. And you're saying you can only get two of them? I've been trying to write a lot of agents this year to see how much today, how much would this cost? No one is really – one guy thought you could get a 207 agent for a plane ticket, but he said he, he really only works for Americans. He had no idea. I just got an email that this phone call is going on, and another agent is writing back a very PC statement. It is impossible to quantify the worth of one athlete against another individual athlete in different markets and for different races. We as race organizers, or actually this is a race organizer, always try and do the very best by the individual athlete, manager, sponsor, and media partners. I don't need to hear that. I just need at least five legitimate guys that could beat Rupp. I mean, how many guys in this field could even beat Rupp? Well, then, I mean, there's no way that a Japanese guy is going to win this race. So there's, what, two people that could possibly beat him on the start line? It's just very disappointing. Yeah, the field to me is very interesting. Like, um, I guess Tedesse is in the field, so that's a name, but he's not a very good marathoner. Um, Abel Carreri is, what, two-time world champion? But, and he's running 207 this year, but it's not that hard. And I commend Boston this year for doing it. They threw in a few other sort of 207, 208, 206 guys you've never heard of, including Jeffrey um, Career, Jeffrey who, who wins the race and beats, beats, you know, beats Rupp. And so they had had one less guy, he wouldn't have won. So, you know, I feel like this field, though, when you look at the list, one, I mean, maybe if you just discounted Essay as being a 210 guy, he's a big name guy. But also, he's a Nike guy. Um, I wonder if it also, it would be interesting to see the shoe affiliations of all the guys now that Nike's the sponsor of the race. Um, but... I feel like, like you said, it's not these Japanese, there's a bunch of, there's like one, two, three, four, five Japanese guys. Like, come on. Um, they're not going to challenge for the win. So, yeah, let's have five guys under 208. This is a major, you know, Dennis Kometo is the world record holder, but that's from three years ago and he hasn't run a good race, maybe one good race since then. So, yeah. I understand yeah. the criticism. G- Galen's expensive but like you said i don't think a 208 guy costs much 207 just throw a couple guys in there um i don't know one the race if it's just a coronation 
think Karui will do it, but I think we need a couple more guys. So maybe, I don't know, like, a, I mean, I'm surprised they don't have some of the usual faces, like Wesley Career in there, something like that. But um, I, I understand the, the criticism, but I, yeah, I hope they can bring in one or two more guys. It'll still be interesting to watch, you know, Galen run and trying to see what Jeffrey Curley's best was before Boston this year. I mean, he'd run 206, right? And everyone, like, seventh place in the Amsterdam Marathon. That's a 206 guy. So finding a guy like that doesn't seem that hard. I'm sure there's a guy who's run 206 in the last couple of years who would love the chance to run New York. So put him in the field, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, right now, and, uh, and even if you look at the field, in, in terms of the actual elite, there's not like there's any established, you know, half marathon stars that, that really have a chance. I mean, Steven Stambu, I mean, you know, I mean, he's... Jerson Asadese uh, is the world record holder in half marathon. How can you say that, Robert? No, but he's won marathons, and he's failed repeatedly at it. It's not like you have a 59.08 guy, you know, who, who's making his debut, and you really think he's going to give up a, a run for his money. I mean, this is really sort of... I, I I don't know. It's just I, I was do, working on the week that was this morning. I came across the, the Chicago press release from last week and was like, oh my God, this is it. This, this is this is not good. I mean, it's just not good. And I, I think that you know, I said in the article, if Rupp wins this race with the field as is, I'm going to put an asterisk next to the win, just like I do with the 1985 Boston Marathon winners. I mean, that's actually the year that Lisa Rainsberg won the last American woman, but. Most of the pros boycotted that year because Boston wasn't offering prize money. So, you know, the the, the World Marathon majors, I like it. Uh, I support the races. I treat them much bigger than I do a Rotterdam or an Amsterdam. But there needs to be some sort of minimum requirement, you know, like of like, okay, this is an acceptable field or this isn't. You know, we don't want this to turn into a Mo Farah situation where every time he races in Britain, we know he's going to have an, a, 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 a you know a victory that's not very hard to get and you know, isn't that interesting? So, um, you know, and then the whole shoe sponsor angle of like, let's bring in guys from a shoe, certain shoe company so they can win it. I mean, are we watching a professional sporting event or are we watching a charity fund run that's a marketing event for both charities and shoe companies? And that's what I think. And that's honestly, I take my job at Let's Run seriously. I feel like the job of Let's Run is to ensure that the sport of run, competitive of running is presented as a competitive sport repeatedly. Not a fun run, not a marketing event, not a charity event. So it's just ridiculous at this point. I think Cometo is an Adidas guy. I was just looking that up. So it's it's not all Nike guys, but, uh, you know. I mean, but Robert, to be fair to Chicago, I mean, I think we're being fair. I think it's a valid criticism what you're giving them. But they bring in, what, two B-team Kenyans, and you feel all of a sudden it's a stiff challenge. Well, no, you know, I think the, the what thing. they did is they brought people, in a couple of names who are past their prime, and it, and it looks like a good race on paper. Yes, and, and a lot of these races, and even with Boston and stuff like that, in years past, I've always been worried it'd be easy. I started my career as a marketing exec in professional women's tennis. We used to leak out the fields. Every two weeks, we'd do a press release. Like, oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty easy to fool the public as to what you've got coming to your meet. That's why I wrote the Chicago Marathon organizers this morning to make sure this was the whole elite field. Um, but yeah, you, you they could, said it was, or they didn't you know, say who it was. 
But they said this was it, and then I guess they're going to add Lisa later. But you can add Lisa, and then you can say, oh, we've got the gold medal, the, the silver medalist versus the bronze medalist. <laughs> That's all you need to sell to the public. But I'm talking about the hardcore running, you know, aficionado who really looks deeply in these fields. I mean, I can get a 205 guy that's 45 years of old. I, I could put Jabra Celeste in the field, and he's not going to do anything. I mean, they've got good media stories already. They've got Jordan Say. They've got Joni Benoit at, at 60 trying to break three hours. And they've got Rupp. They're going to be all over the Chicago media. That's much more interesting. You're going to get the much more publicity in the Chicago market and in the media. You know, it's going to get Bank of America a lot of publicity. But as a hardcore running fan, you know, it's troublesome. You know, it is. Um, you know, and, and that's just the, the fact of the matter. But we spent 10 minutes on Rupp in Chicago. Let's move on. We've got the Diamond League. Um, you know, and, and to, to, the first of the two Diamond League finals is tomorrow. And Jonathan put up a story on Let's Run this morning as well. Hopefully people have read it. Mo Fair at the press conference today said that if he had raised to 5000 in his prime, I think he said 2013, the year that he won in Moscow, he thought he could run 1245. John, who asked the question? Did you ask him that question? Did anyone ask him about the 10000 How did that come up? Tell us about the press conference. Yeah, I mean, I, I asked the question, and I figured, you know, this is his final race on the track tomorrow night in Zurich. And, you know, I think the one big complaint about people who argue, you know, who's the best, Bekele, Gebra Selassie, or Farah, and for the record, I think we all kind of decided it's Bekele, but, or at least I did, uh, is Farah hasn't gone for times. You know, he's always placed the championships on uh, as the top priority. And the thing about what made Geb and Bekele so impressive is that they were able to win gold medal after gold medal at the championships while running fast times during the regular season or after the championships. Farah's never done that. He's basically just done the championships. And so my question to him was, you know, what do you think you could have done? Because I know for sure he could have run faster than 1240, so then 1253, which was his PR from 2011. So I said, when, was, when were you in your best shape ever? What could you have run? And he said it was 2013. That was the year that he ran. 328.81 for 1500, which is number 10 all time. Um, and, you know, he, he ran a bunch of 5Ks that summer, but none of them were really in super fast races. The fastest race he was in was the pre-classic, and he actually lost that race because he was sick in the week leading up to it. And he said, you know, I think if I got in a race where, you know, I had good rabbiting, the rabbit stayed in for a while, and people got after it, I, I think I could have run 12:45 or 12:46, and I, I think that's uh, 100% correct. Because if you look in 2012 at the Paris Diamond League, uh, Dejan Gebremeskel ran 12:46. There are a bunch of other guys who were under 12:50 or very close to 12:50, and Farah beat all of them in the Olympic final in London. So I think the fact that Gebremeskel was in 12:46 shape about uh, a month or so before the 2012 Olympics, suggests to me that Mo Farah was probably in very close to 1246 or 1245 shape in 2012. And if he was in even better shape in 2013, it certainly makes sense for me to uh, think you, he could run that. But those those Paris races don't come around very often, and Farah was never in one where he could have uh, got that time. 
Yeah, I, I don't think uh, it's weird. You know, we, we put up the article and then we started a message board discussion about it, and a lot of immediately a lot of the response was, "Well, so why didn't he?" And I actually posted the all-time list up there, and I actually started defending Farah. And despite what people think on this, a lot of these fans they think that I'm anti-Nike Oregon Project and hate everything about it. And there's a lot about Mo Farah I respect. I think he's been a great champion. I just don't think he's the greatest of all time. But I defended Farah repeatedly on the message board today because, uh, John, I think 1245 makes sense. I mean, if you look at the big three, there's three guys in their history that are broken 1240. Bikile, 1237, Deborah Celeste, 1239, and Komen, 1239. So those guys were noted, famous, in the prime, almost unbeatable, you know, time trialers, exceptional champions. I mean, Komen's career was so short. But, yeah, that seems a little bit unrealistic for, for Farrah, who's not been good at running fast times. But then you've got the mere mortals. I mean, a big drop-off at 12.46, and it's Kip, Kipchoge, Elliot Kipchoge, who's a, hey, he's gone on to do pretty good. At 12.46.53, Gabor Masco has also run that, so Lisa Shaheen's 12.47, Hagos Gabriel at Isaiah Koech, Isaac Sankoch. So, you know, these guys that have never won world titles, you'd think that Farrah would be better than them. So that, that seems realistic. You know, maybe he's fourth all-time, fifth all-time. Um, you certainly think he would be better at the 5,000 than the, than the 1,500 where he's ranked 10th all the time. So a top 10 showing if he had done it, and people act like, oh, you know, he's not even close to that. Well, he's pretty close in terms of time. I mean, he's only, what, you know, like three-quarters of a second per lap off. You know, he's like seven seconds or something. So it doesn't seem like, you know, a, a big deal on that front. Um, 10 seconds there, and you get on well under 13. And if that's the case, I think, you know, it's interesting for Farah, but it's also great for the Americans. Uh, you know, who, who knows if he's in that kind of shape at this point. But Paul Chalimo certainly, uh, I think, could run well under 13 minutes if he gets in the right race. So, I don't know. I'll be hoping for a, for a quick one. But Farah has made no bones about saying, look, he's here. There's a lot of money on the line. It's $50,000 for the win. Mo Farah wants that prize money, even though he's probably richer than significantly richer, I'd say, than everyone else in the field. You know, he wants one more payday, and I can't blame him. And so he's going to do what it takes to get that money. And that doesn't mean being a hero and trying to lead the last two kilometers of the race. It's putting yourself in the best position to win. Now, can he do that? I think he, he said he's definitely more rested than he is uh, for the 5K in London. You know, I think he he talked a lot about that defeat to Mukhtar Edris today. And he said, you know, that 10,000 took more out of me than any championship 10,000 I'd ever run. Normally, I'm pretty energetic in between races, but this time I was tired. You know, my wife noticed it. She, you know, it was a noticeable difference, he said, in between the races. So the fact that he was able to get it up, get up for second was very impressive. But, you know, Edris is also a fantastic runner. Edris didn't, you know, he closed in 52-3, and there aren't many runners in history who can close you know, 5K in 52.3 seconds when it's, you know, winning time around 13.30. So I think this this might be, uh, I guess, a slightly fairer matchup since, you know, Edris didn't run the 10K in London, and so he's a little bit of pressure for that one. But it, it should be really a fantastic race between those two guys and Soren uh, Chalimo as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. If you're just joining us, this is Let's Run Track Talk. Um, we got Jonathan Galt live on the line from Zurich. And this is your co- your host, Robert Johnson, Let's Run my co-founder, my brother, Weldon, who's also on the line. 
I'm in Baltimore. He's in Fort Worth, Texas. If you want to call in and be a guest on the show, you can call in to 724-444-7444. Sorry for intercall ID 72655-POUND. We want to apologize for the technical difficulties. If you didn't listen to last Friday's show, which we all agree was one of our best shows on uh, the world's, um, unfortunately, TalkShoe is having system maintenance, so they're not really recording the shows. So we did not know that, and we didn't do a local backup, so you may miss that one. Um, people are saying that there's it's buffering continuously, so hopefully it's, it's recording on a hard, hard dog right now. Um, so anyways, we, we apologize for that. But, you know, John and I were talking offline about, about the race, and I said, you know, John, I'm not really sure. J- John said that, that, that uh, Edris would win. I'm, I think Sarah could win. And John's like, well, I really think it's about 50-50. But the one thing I'm not sure of is, you know, Sarah and I ran that race in, in London. I don't think that helps him. He's already tired from the double, and he's got to do another race. Whereas Edris, I mean, if Edris is psychologically up for the race, I think it's a huge advantage that he hasn't had to race. He didn't have to double in London, and he hasn't had to race since London. So he can just rest up. The key thing is, is Edris mentally into it. He may be satisfied that he beat Farrah once, whereas I think Farrah has the psychological motivation of, I don't want to end my career um, you know, as a loser. So it, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And on that message board thread about Mo Farrah and how fast could he run, I was doing some research, and, you know, people saying he could have run faster. I'm like, he couldn't have, otherwise he would have done it. And I said, that's not necessarily true. There's a trade-off. I mean, you can't be – it's hard to chase the time in July and then be ready to peak in August in Worlds, or vice versa, it's hard to double at Worlds and then chase the time right after Worlds. And if you look at Gabriel Solassi, and a lot of people say, oh, he's not – the people who say fair is the greatest of all time, it's, well, Gabriel Solassi didn't win as many medals. And I'm like, well, yeah, because he was setting world records. So in my mind – if you believe Deborah Celeste in 97, he won the 10K Worlds on August 6th. He had to run a prelim in the top 10K on August 3rd. Now, if he'd won a double, they had, back then the 10K and the 5K are a lot closer together than they are now. He would have had to run a, a 5K final, prelim on August 8th and the final on the 10th. So the, the 10K and 5K were only four days apart. He decided not to do that. That would have been four races in the span of like six days. Um, you know, and an extra 10K of running that Farrow never had to do during his career. So instead of doing that, he also would have had to face a guy by the name of Daniel Komen in the final. So instead of doing that, um, he decided to go to Zurich. And guess what? He set the world record of 1241.86. That was just seven days after he won the 10K. So, you know, if you talk about a great seven-day period, one of the greatest seven-day periods in the history of running, I think Gab's performance in 97 certainly you know it's spectacular um you know on that front but it's going to be a fascinating race i wish that the race as much money as they're spending in zurich i wish they could just say hey we're going to give ten thousand dollars um you know sort of on for a fast time that would be really nice um but anyways there's some other action going on and the big race for u.s fans really is Emma Coburn in the steeple. John, you talked to her today about the nine-minute barrier in tomorrow's race. You know, she submitted that she didn't in years past think that nine minutes was possible. She does now think it's possible. But what was her mindset really for tomorrow? Is she focused on winning, trying to be competitive, trying to break nine? What is it? Yeah, I think mainly uh, she, you know, she didn't talk too much about tomorrow's race. Uh, it was mostly about sort of 
a lot of the questions during the press conference were about worlds still. But Mara, I think she, yeah, she wants to be competitive. She, she'd like to win, obviously. Um, but I think she recognizes that she's just one of several talented women in this field. Um, so, and as far as time's concerned, I mean, nine minutes, it's something that's going to be on her mind in most high quality races she enters um, from this point forward after she ran 902 in London. But I think, you know, my gut is that that's really more of a 2018 goal at this point. I think, you know, Coburn accomplished pretty much everything she could have wanted to this year realistically. You know, she set the American record of 9.02 and won gold in the World Championship final. You know, she did all that in the same race. So, nine five, I mean, sub nine, that would be, be a nice bonus. But she only ran 8.48 for a flat 3,000, uh, and that was only three days ago, it'll, she'll have, it'll have been four days by the time she toes the line in Zurich. I just find it unlikely that she would be able to run 8.48 and then four days later run, you know, 8.59 over barriers. Uh, I think that's just tough. But next year, I think it's, it's certainly attainable uh, if she gets in a quick race. But, you know, may have to wait tomorrow. Yeah, and was she the only steeplechaser there? Was Chip Kowitz at the press conference, or no? Um, yes, it, it was just Coburn. So I uh, still haven't been able to talk to. I'm hoping in the mix zone after the race tomorrow, I'll be able to talk to Chip Kowitz and ask her about what went wrong in London because when uh, she passed through the mix zone after that one, she did not stop at all. She looked quite upset, understandably so. But uh, it'd be interesting to hear what went wrong on that first uh, water jump. So, you know, other than that, tomorrow, I think. What? How fast the race goes up front tomorrow. I mean, I don't, I don't think any, any one of us thinks that Emma's going to win it. I mean, she's got a chance, but I think everyone's eyes are going to be in Beatrice and see how fast she can go. Yeah, no, I think she could run. I mean, fairly close to the world record. I, I would guess, you know. It's certainly within our grasp, and I think the pace. I saw one K and three flat, and I think maybe uh, one of the women may have actually, you know, Coburn suggested that one of the women may have even requested world record pace. Uh, she said it definitely wasn't her, but you know, Chip Coach, Ruth Trebet ran 8:52 last year, and I think Chip Coach is a pretty similar. You know, she's run nine flat or thereabouts a, a couple times. So, yeah, I, I think. Anything in the 850s wouldn't surprise me by Chip Kowach. Folks, we have breaking news to report for the first time since September 20th, 2015. Baltimore Orioles pitcher Zach Britton has blown a save. 56 or 7 in a row. My beloved Orioles are blowing the season as we speak. We had a 7-5 lead going into the ninth. I was distracted while my phone was, was buzzing. I could not figure out what was going on. My wife was texting me. Folks, 7-7. Seven seven. He could get the win, though, and they say, how ironic it would be. That's how screwed up the save set is. He blows the game and then gets a win. So let's hope he can get two more outs. But uh, uh, back to running, John. Um, I thought the breaking news was going to be something else. Yeah, we do have some real breaking news that broke just before this podcast began. That's Clayton Murphy joining the Nike Oregon Project. I mean... This is something that's sort of 
been one I would say a poorly kept secret this whole summer. I mean, there's been rumors about it dating back to I think, you know, even before USA's, but it is official now. He's joined them. I mean, what do you guys think? I think the Nike Oregon Project, this is one, a group whose coach is currently under investigation by both the FBI and USADA. So there was uh, that huge document released um, in May about the, from the Texas Medical Board. That was the USADA interim report. I mean, he, Clayton Murphy's one of the biggest talents in the country. What is your guys' uh, opinion on this, this massive move? Um, well, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, Craig Engels joined early in the summer. I mean, the cover that people seem to be understanding is, A, Alberto Salazar's never been charged with anything, and B, a lot of people claim that sort of Pete Julian is more doing hands-on and Salazar more mainly coaches just rough at this point. So, um, yeah, I mean... Well, I, I'll hop in that Chris Chavez tweeted out, uh, you know, he, he asked for about the press release. He sort of inquired which of the coaches will he be working most closely with? And uh, the response he was given was Salazar, not Julian. Uh, okay. Well, that surprises me. Um, you know, and the other thing that really surprises me is about this move is I had heard, you know, unofficially from people that Matthew Centrowitz was irate when he heard that Murphy was going to be joining the group. So that surprised me more than anything about you know, the morality or the, you know, the worrying about the blowback from, you know, joining Salazar. I mean, I, I don't think that the blowback for joining Salazar in the U.S. is nearly as big as it is in the U.K. where the media actually cares about track and field. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if it was certainly me, I mean, I was saying this about Mary Kane. I was like, if I was an 18-year-old and, and I was a parent, I wouldn't want my child going to a guy that was, there was lots of any window and rumors about and maybe the parents wouldn't know about that. Now there's no excuse. I mean, everybody knows the rumors. I guess you would say that he's never been convicted. But, Weldon, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think money talks. He signed with Nike. They're going to want him to go to one of their coaches. And what's he going to say? I mean, a lot of these kids sign stuff. I mean, Alberto's had tremendous success. I mean, Matt Centrowitz is coached by him, the Olympic champion. Like, you know, you can rationalize a lot of things in your head. Alberto hasn't been charged with anything. How much say does Clayton even have in the matter? Um, you know, a lot of these kids, even when they sign contracts, they don't know about reduction clauses. They're not even told about competing offers, that sort of thing. And that's a little bit different than this, but sort of, I think a lot of it's sort of dictated to them. It's like, we're going to pay you X, here's where you're going to go. Um, and he might have had some leeway in this, but. Right, like we've known for months he was going to the Oregon Project. It's just now being fish, being made official. So and plus, you know, I mean, you know, I'm friends with with Ingles uh, high school coach. And he's like he would never do anything. So if you're not going to do anything, I guess there's nothing to fear about. You know, I mean, even if other people in the group are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, it doesn't mean you have to do them. Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, it's just. It's a messed up sport. I mean, another thing we had in the week that was, you know, people in the UK are making a big deal that Mo Farah's former training partner, the sort of guy that paced him in in, in Kenya, was busted for, um, was caught on a uh, hidden camera buying EPL. You know, people say, what do you think about that? And my thought is, well, he's a C-team Kenyan. Those are the people that have the most incentive to cheat. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that Mo's 
on drugs, but it's certainly not good for Mo Farah that he's got ties to Salazar, who's got questions about him. He's got ties to John Mahadon, who's got questions about him. And now this guy that he was training with, who no one had ever heard of, and was wondering why he was training with this guy instead of more established people in Kenya, this guy's Kadi buying EPO. So, you know, this, the sport is getting, it's just, I don't know. I mean, there's just filth all around it at, at different places. So, um, you know, let's talk about something more uplifting and other two distance finals tomorrow, men's 1500, women's 800. I mean, the women's 800, I think we're pretty confident how that's going to go. So maybe is going to win. I think the question is how fast does she run? Um, it's a little disappointing. A.G. Wilson didn't make it. You know, we've talked about this in the preview. I like the fact that you've got to run to meet to get into the Diamond League final. They can't just invite whoever they want to show up. You've got to get the points. My only critique of the system is I do think that the World Championships probably should count as a meet. Um, I'm not convinced of that. But, you know, then if you get second or third, you probably be in. But then I guess people could skip early season meet. What do you guys think of that theory? Um, yeah, sort of. I I think that uh, I think what you do is you make it count for one meet. So that way you're not saying that. Like I think if you you know if you place high like top three at world, that'll probably be enough to get you in in most events. Maybe you know if it's one of the events that's run more frequently, you might need to get third and then another token appearance on Diamond League meet. But yeah, have it count for one meet. That way it's not totally overwhelming everything else, but it's still encouraging, you know, most people to run the whole season, uh, especially in the events where you're not guaranteed, you know, there's no clear favorite for Worlds. I, I think that's fair. And under that system, you you know, RJ Wilson would have a third in Monaco and a third in London, and that would have been enough to get her to the final. So I think that's a, uh, a good solution. But, you know, I, the meet organizers today saying, you know, these fields are pretty much what we would have picked. You know, and I, obviously there is an exception for like someone like Wilson, but if you look at all of them, there aren't many complaints you're going to see uh, from the people who entered that pretty much who would be invited anyway. Yeah, and there's some other good, you know, non-distance fields. I mean, we got to stop the pal back in action. I mean, 100, I wonder how many more Diamond League finals he'll be running in his career. A lot of interesting things. Um, you know, the... the since we just had worlds, you wouldn't think a whole lot would change. You know, the men's 1500, I, I would think that, you know, Timothy Sherrod and Elijah Manigoy, they know they're in the best shape of anybody. Why not make it fast and try to just do what they did at worlds? You know, with the help of rabbits, it should be easier for them to go one, two than it was at worlds. You kind of agree with that, Wilden? Say that again? Manigoy and Chariot, do you think they'll use the same strategy? I think, I mean, I think. Watching worlds, it seems so easy, right? Um, but here, here you got rabbits. So why do they even? We have rabbits tomorrow, right, John? That's correct. Yeah, the uh, the rabbits are going to be hitting uh, 800, and they're going out 155. Sorry, 55 seconds for the first 400, and 152 for 800, 248, and 1200. But I mean, if you if you look at the previous Diamond League race in Monaco, that wasn't exactly, like, they went out really fast in Monaco. No one could hang on to them because Chariot continued pushing once the rabbit left. You know, they basically gapped everyone because they were the only guys to go to the ra- go with the rabbits. And if that's the same thing that happens tomorrow, uh, the rest of the field might just say, all right, we already have proof from Monaco and London. These are the two best guys in the world. Uh, we'll just all battle it out for third. Or you might have someone like 
Phil Fingerbrickson, he says, screw it. I'll just go with these guys and see if I can hang on. Um, but I expect them to go 1-2 because they went 1-2 at Monaco, they went 1-2 at Worlds, and we're going to see a similar race to Monaco and Worlds tomorrow. Yeah, it's a good point, John. I, mean, I think someone like Ingenbergson just wants to run fast, and he's already had such a good year. He's probably getting such a big bonus for getting third at Worlds that, you know, he doesn't really care whether he blows up. Um, where some of these guys, you know, like maybe a finalist from Worlds from Africa, you know, he may, he may care more about the money. I mean, money, third place is 10000 which is like winning a race in, um, you know, normal Diamond League. Fourth is 6000 Um I was wondering, John, is first fifty thousand or sixty thousand? I I think you thought it was sixty. I thought it was fifty. I don't know if we've ever quite figured that out. Yeah, I think it. Um, I can search for that real quickly, but. Uh, I think it's just fifty because I was looking at the Diamond League website, but because in years past it used to be the bonus plus ten, but I think it's just fifty thousand. Yeah, this year I think I for the win. somewhere, but I've come around to uh, sixty. Sorry, 50. Yeah, yeah, it's 50. I'm pretty sure. So, and then after this Thursday, we've got an eight-day break until the Diamond League another finale um, on the September 1st, and we're, that's in. Um, it's in Brussels, and it is 50,000 officially. Okay, good. Um, folks, I'm still distracted. Folks, the Oakland A's have the bases loaded. I know that people, it always makes me laugh when people watch you on are like, how could anyone watch baseball? And I'm like, do you realize what the average person says about track? I mean, people think baseball is a slow moving sport because it takes three hours. And really, there are 162 games a year. Whereas in track and field, um, you know, there isn't, there aren't 162 games, but the, but the meat takes like six or seven hours. So, um, you know, it's pretty interesting to each their own, I guess, with what they like. But, John, are there any other races tomorrow that you're looking forward to besides the distance races? And I want to know, like, what's the – you said walking around town, like you see, you know, flags for the Diamond League meet. Like, what was the street meet today like, the pole vault? How – you know, what was the crowd like, stuff like that? What's the ambiance there? Yeah, so I'll start with the other races. The, the one I really have my eye on is the Women's 200. Um, you've got two Olympic champions in – Sean A. Miller, sorry, Sean A. Miller, Weibo, and uh, Elaine Thompson. And then you've got the two-time defending world champion at 200 meters, uh, Daphne Skippers. Those three, uh, I think, and plus Marie-Jose Talou, who is silver in London. I think that's just going to be a fantastic race between the, the four of those women. Um, so that that's probably the highlight. And also, you know, in jet, you've got Mutaza Sabashim and the in the high jump, you've got uh, a nice javelin showdown between Thomas Roller and Johannes Vetter. Those are the top the two and three on the all-time list, by the way, um, in the javelin. And in the pole vault, you have Sam Kendricks is facing off against Renaud Lillene. Now, Kendricks is the favorite. He's the world champion. He's the world leader. But Lillene is the only athlete on either gender to have won every single Diamond League title since it started in 2010. And he can continue that streak because it's now Winnipeg uh, for the Diamond League title tomorrow. I don't think he will, but that that would be a pretty impressive streak if he were able to win eight straight Diamond League titles. Just tremendous consistency. Well, that'd be pretty uh, funny because before you won it by your season best. This year he'd only win it because it was a one-off event. That's right. Um, as, as far as the the city and the, well, the vault today was in the Zurich main station, that train station. 
a spectacular building. The architecture is just beautiful. It's this great old building um, in the middle of Zurich. And, you know, it, it was just really terrific, terrific atmosphere. The crowd, there was a big crowd around it the entire time. Uh, the bleachers were packed. Uh, it was kind of hot in there. It was, you know, 85 degrees. It's not like London. There's actual summer over here on the continent. But and who won? Uh, it was Stefaniti, Katerina Stefaniti. She's, I mean, technically this was indoors, but she's undefeated outdoors this year. Her and Sandy Morris had a great competition. They both cleared 487. Um, actually, Katie Najat of uh, the U.S., she set a personal best in third place, uh, 472. But, yeah, Morris and Stefaniti have sort of been a cut above the last couple of years. They were one two at Worlds and the Olympics the last two years. And, yeah, they both cleared 487, but Stephanie only had one miss in her on her card, whereas Morris had two. It took her two tries to get over 472. And, the you know, the crowd was into it. They have a mascot, Cooley the Cow, who actually does the pole vault as well. I think he cleared 3.5 meters, which I think I heard them say it was a, it might have been a mascot world record. I mean, so that that was pretty interesting to see the guy in the full costume doing it. But yeah, re really cool, and uh, you know, I think there should be, you know, I, I compare this. To, they also had a pole vault at the Boston meet I went to earlier this year in June, the uh, Adidas Boost Boston Games. This one was better. Just the seating, the viewing, you know, you could see it more easily. Uh, there was more bleachers yeah. right uh, by the pole vault. Are, are most of the fans people that are sitting there throughout, or is it sort of commuters that are? You would have some, some commuters on the fringes, but most of these people were there the whole time. Uh, you had people on the bleachers. They were there pretty much the whole time. And on the other side, you had people who had staked out their spot in the front row and didn't want to give it up. And what was also neat is uh, some of the other athletes who are competing tomorrow came to watch. Like Sam Kendricks was down on the runway, like, you know, given Sandy Morris encouragement in between attempts. Mutaza, oh no, sorry, Boshim wasn't there, but um, Gianmarco Tamberi, the Italian high jumper, the world indoor champion, he was in the front row watching it and getting into it. Um, Renola Villene was there watching. I actually got the train with him back to, to my place. So he's not here now. He was never here, but we were going in the same direction. So, um, that was very cool to see them out supporting, even though they've all got to compete tomorrow night. So there you have it, folks. Extensive pole vault analysis by Jonathan Galt. With running becoming now nothing more than a glorified WWE exhibition based on watered-down fields and certain sponsors being favored, we're going to become Let's Vault.com, folks. We're going to start into the pole vault. We figure it's harder to rig a vault because well, I guess you can have people miss on purpose if you pay them off enough. But, um, Anyway, just kidding, folks. Just so there, kidding. John, this wasn't a Diamond League event. The women's finals in Brussels. So this is just sort of a exhibition. Yeah, right? this I mean, was just I mean, get them part, to part do it. Need, because but... I think to be technically to be part of Diamond League, I don't know if they're allowed to make the final indoors because this is counting indoor stuff. Like you look at the meet website, it says world leader Diamond League record. It's like, well, it's a Diamond League record for the indoor pole vault, which isn't actually contested, but yeah, the, the actual final that pays the big bucks is next week. But all the competitors, you could tell, were just having a blast. You know, they really, they're really excited. Each of them got their own sort of intro music for each attempt. So, you know, they would play the same song every time. So, you know, it was them. 
uh, it, it was really awesome. And there were some great performances too. Sandy Morris's was a season's best. A season's best outdoors was only 472. So she went 15 centimeters higher than that uh, today. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Well, we wanted to keep it an hour, and despite the technical difficulties, it's been about an hour since we started. So I think since we were supposed to start, it's probably only been about 45 minutes of recorded material. Hopefully, folks will get it all figured out. For some reason, it's much harder for us to do a podcast when people are overseas. Um, for next week's final, second of the two Diamond League finals, um, I think we should wrap things up. Um, any parting words of wisdom, Weldon, that you want to make? What are you most excited for? And if not, I'll say, what are you most excited for tomorrow? And give me the prediction. Who wins, Edris, Farah, or other? Um, one thing I think it has to be mentioned is we don't we didn't get the 400 meter matchup that I wanted. You know, Isaac McQuala versus Wade Van Niekerk. Van Niekerk out with injury, so. <clears throat> Track and field fans on the men's side have sort of been missing the big matchups all year, and that'll be the case again tomorrow. I mean, we, we haven't seen a – I guess we had the Usain Bolt in the 100 meters at Worlds, but that was it. Um, we do have the men's 100 tomorrow with Gatlin is in that race, Safa Powell. But that was the sprint matchup I was really looking forward to, and it's just not going to happen. Interesting interesting question, though. Today I went to eat with my aunt, and uh, she hadn't seen her since the world, and she wanted to know if Usain Bolt was really injured. So casual sports fans wondering if he really was. Um, we, we, we could have a whole discussion on that, because whatever happened with the tweet he sent out and then took it back. Have we had an update on that in the last 24 hours? Um, I saw some reference. I'm not sure about why he took it off. Some person speculated it was a long hamstring. And then I told, heard someone say that they're an idiot. They didn't understand how medical MRI works. So I think he just doesn't want to bother himself with, like, he wants to use Twitter to promote himself, not bother with responding to trolls who he can never satisfy. But the McQuala, the Nekrit thing, Nekrit pulling out injured, I wasn't even aware of that. I've been paying attention. But that's interesting to me, and it should make us appreciate one. This coach has stuck for a long time. She didn't have him double because she didn't think he could handle it. So she's been very cautious with him. And then even despite that, he's gotten hurt. And also should make us appreciate, you know, how great it's been to see Mo Farah and really the same Bolt do these doubles year after year. I mean, I think the double, obviously, in the sprinting is a little bit harder. But it's not easy, you know. And to win one world championship is hard. To do two and not get hurt is really something special so um but yeah i don't know john john you're the twitter expert why did bolt send out a tweet with his, his mri and then take it back yeah i think i i don't know for sure but my guess is something is what you said you know he's probably he was probably getting upset about all these people pulling him out um and which i think is ridiculous like clearly he wasn't 100 percent this year but um and I don't think like my 75-year-old aunt is listening to sports talk radio, so she probably just wondered that herself. So I guess it's a natural thought. Yeah, that, all right, that, that's a fair point. But, yeah, I think he's probably like, yeah, look, I'm the best ever. You guys really think this was, you know, me at 100%. So he did that. But then, you know, I think he does have respect for Gatlin. He probably didn't want to, you know, inflame anything. And he's been beloved by everyone loves him. I think this, you know, I, I don't view it really as pettiness, but I think there are some people who would. 
And so he probably just figured, uh, screw it, I don't have anything to prove to you people, like, so what? So that's probably why he took it down. So, Weldon, make us predictions. Who wins tomorrow, Edris or Farrell? Well, like all my prediction contests, I'm going to go with the heart. I want Farrell to win. If you're thinking he'd lose at Worlds, some reason I want him to lose one of the races at Worlds, but I want him to go out on top of the win, sort of just take it to people. Um, but if that's the case, I want a fast one. I, you know, I don't want some sort of slow race. So this may not be a prediction. This is just what I want to see. Mo Farah, 12.52 PR. Wow, that would be spectacular. And the over-under in Semenya, does she break? What's your PR, 155? Does she break 155? Um, to cast her break 155. No, she's never done it in her life. Okay, John, what about you? Who wins their address and does Semenya break 155? I don't know if this is Farrah or Idris. You know, I think I was going to pick Idris in the preview, but Farrah's so good and he's well-rested. Well, he raced on Sunday. He's lost well-rested, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think that took anything out of him. You know, I'm going to say say Farrah. Yeah, gun to my head, I trust Farrah more than Idris. And Semenya, I mean... I think she could run 154. I think she could run 153 points, but I don't think she's going to because she's never done it to us at this point. I think she'll run however far she needs to win. I don't think she'll need to run 154 to win. Huh. Interesting, because John Galt's the one who wrote the preview and he picked Edris to win. Now he switches his mind. I'm going with Sarah for the win and definitely do not think he's going to break 155. So it should be an exciting day, though. Thanks for joining us. Um, I've got to go. The Orioles have two guys on, only one out. We can still win this game. It's tied up in the bottom of the ninth. But uh, we want to thank you guys for joining another edition of Track Talk. And we'll be on next week before the second and final Diamond League finale is way in. So for Jonathan Galt and Weldon Johnson, this is Robert Johnson signing you off. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Well, I've been sitting here all day. I've-